the more insulting thing was they always said like, oh, so you saw Bright and decided you could do it good. It was never like you were inspired that's, by it. It was always like that failed so badly. That's not an insult to you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's not an insult to you. That is a definite insult to Bright though. Yes. <laughs> Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Mack. Discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. Hi, Doc. Hi, Nina. So, we're going to do things a little bit differently in this episode. I don't know if you noticed. I noticed that we hide and didn't plot. We we hide and we didn't plot. Yes. <laughs> as per usual. Welcome to a very special episode of Pop Medieval. Where we talk about important social issues. We do. This is like... And in a cliffhanger. Yep. The vice president will come on and tell us why this is an important issue that we all need to talk about and have a national conversation about. Someone's going to end up in an abandoned refrigerator or <laughs> take a, a trip to the neighbor's house at uh, different strokes. Yes. Oh, no, that was too dark of a Yes, that was a, a bicycle cut. repair shop or something. That, yeah, that's right. Oh, it was yeah. a bicycle repair shop. Wow, we are old. We yes. need to... <laughs> the different strokes reference there for the Zoomers who are like, what's different strokes? Like even referencing that it is a different strokes reference is so old. Yeah, yeah, this is true. We need to, we need to update our references. Like, do they make special episodes anymore or? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. The show Euphoria is basically one long <laughs> special episode and let's move on. The episode has gone off the rails. We got too All high right. and then at that point it went off the rails so this episode we are not really talking about medieval stuff we are doing an interview with professor awesome about his new book watch of traxis i'm ready that's me i'm ready to talk about the watch of traxis i noticed you didn't react to that you're like oh that's me yeah <laughs> you are professor awesome yes that is um me. Do you respond to Professor Awesome or do you not like... I know you secretly hate Professor Awesome. Have we ever talked about this on the podcast, the name Professor Awesome? If we have, it's been a while. We, we should remind people. The in brief is I started using Professor Awesome as a way to talk about a kind of professor who talks about things they don't really know anything about, but acts like because they're a professor of something different, that it gives them authority over it. And it was a kind of an insult uh, mm -hmm. without, I wanted to be able to refer to this kind of person without referring to an actual person. And so for a while, whenever people would ask me about something that's not medieval literature, I would say like, well, putting on my Professor Awesome hat, I would say, blah, blah, blah. And eventually mm -hmm. people started calling me Professor Awesome and I resisted and resisted and resisted because it was meant to be an insult. And eventually I just gave up because so many people started calling me Professor Awesome. I said, all right, fine, I'll be Professor Awesome. So if you see a book and it says Professor Awesome or Professor Awesome PhD, it's gotta be pompous like that. Professor Awesome PhD. <laughs> that is a book I've written for a popular audience. If you read it, it says Dr. Richard Scott Noakes, then that is a book written for, you know, nerds and scholars and people who wear a lot of tweed and yeah. horn-rimmed glasses and rump a lot. It's a separation of identities, really. You've got your academic work and you've got your popular work. That's right. So I, I do I do respond to Professor Awesome, though I there's always a cringe in me, especially when I have to call myself Professor Awesome. That <laughs> Even though it's long since forgotten that that was originally an insult, when it loses its irony, it just sounds... Mm -hmm. It sounds non-ironically pompous. So I do have a yeah. maybe not any more so private hatred of that of the name. But here it is. I am that. So it's like Bob Ross getting that perm and then he stuck with it for decades after that. Yeah, that's me. I'm Professor Awesome forever. We all become what we hate eventually. Nietzsche predicted me. Yes, yes. we did. <laughs> 
that's the genesis of your nom de plume. What is the genesis of Watch of Traxxas? Let's just get right into it. All right, so Watch of Traxxas begins. I have a tabletop role-playing group. I actually have a couple of them, but I have a, a local tabletop role-playing group, and we were between games, and we couldn't decide what game we wanted to play next, and everyone kept saying what kind of game they wanted, and so we thought, well, let's make our own game. And so we created a setting for our game, and the game, the name of the setting was Traxxas. The group calls itself the Mastermind Collective. I don't know where that I, that name came from either. I think it was already called the Mastermind Collective before yeah. I was brought in as Professor Awesome. So uh, the Mastermind Collective developed this. They actually have a file of like 40, 50 page of rules and things for this game that we in fact never played. But after we did it, we talked about maybe writing stories to put some meat on the bones. And, you know, I have other things to do. I wasn't going to do that. But then I had this idea for the Watch of Traxxas, I thought, no, I, I then have to write this. So I wrote it. So did you know it was always going to be called the Watch of Traxxas? You didn't have any other working titles for it? The original title was Traxxas colon the Watch or something like that. You just inverted it. <laughs> I just inverted it. Well, yeah. I, I inverted it because at first it was, I knew someone else was going to write a story which never, I think, got written or is still in process, that was Traxxas colon something. And I thought, okay, we can show that it's in the same world. But as it went on, I thought, eh, I don't like colonated academic titles, and I really didn't like a colon in the middle of a three-word title. It was always had the watch in it, because eyes and seeing are a theme in mm -hmm. it. Uh, however, I will say in terms of SEO, I do regret calling it the watch of Traxxas now, because... If you were to go on Amazon to search for this, search for the Watch of Traxxas, the first hit is going to be their sponsored wristwatch, some sp sponsored wristwatch <laughs> that they want yeah. uh, you to buy. And you have to go down a little bit before you see the book titled The Watch of Traxxas. And I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that by naming it that I'd be confusing it with a wristwatch. But there you go. It has nothing to do with wristwatches. It does have to do with seeing. Or in this case, the watch is like a night watch or something like that. So does anyone else on this team, have they written any similar stories or are they in the progress of growing out the, the world building? So one of the other members of the Mastermind Collective who's actually on the Discord channel, uh, I think is Discord. Yeah, we'll talk is, about that in a minute. Yeah, I think it's, it's Hadrod maybe. Can't, I can't recall. I'm sorry. I, I don't call them by, their, by those names most of the time since we're in the group together. He started writing a story based on the Thrayan side, and I believe the main character is a dwarf, but I haven't seen any drafts of that, so I have no idea if that's in outline form, if he's got 20 pages, if he has 300 pages, but he plans it to be a 900-page tome. I have no clue where that is. Because it would be interesting to see, like with Terry Pratchett, the Discworld series, like mm -hmm. different entries in this world rather than just like sequeling. I want to see from a point of view of another character. I agree. The main character yeah. of The Watch of Traxxas had to be someone who is not from there, so mm -hmm. that he would ask the questions that we would ask and it would be natural for him to do that. But once you're introduced to the world, you know, you don't need a character who is a new entrant to the world. No. So let's go back to your first book. So from A to Zombie, mm -hmm. I noticed like all of your characters have a very similar voice and it's your voice. <laughs> yes, it is like, I know voice. you. I know you very, very well. We've known each other for quite a while now, but they all sound like you. And I noticed 
that's not the same in Watch of Traxxas now. You've gone out of your way to make them sound different. Like Jake sounds much different from Impala that oh, I love Impala. He's, he really is my favorite character. Did you go out of your way to do that? Or is, is that an honest effort this time? Yeah, it is. So to talk about a different book, the Alien Zombie, the characters, when I first started writing it, they actually had different voices. I'm a very <laughs> lazy writer in terms of my characterization. <laughs> you know, some writers, you'll see they'll have this this long character. You know, they've created this character study where they have two pages, five pages of background of the character, you know, and all this, this stuff. I'm way too lazy for that. What I do usually is I take a, someone I know who's not ever been in that situation, but I just take their personality and their voice and I put it in there. Or more often, I'll take two similar people, two people who I think their personalities mash together at work. I mash them together. And that way I don't develop the voice. I don't develop the kinds of things that they'll say. I'll just take the kinds of things that they would say. And mm -hmm. in fact, for me, the zombie started with the other two people's voices. It's such a dark, the subject matter is pretty dark in from A to Zombie, whereas the subject matter in mm -hmm. Watch of Traxxas can be dark, but it's not, it could not possibly be as dark. Uh, we'll go into that. I got a question about that later on. <laughs> uh, it could not possibly be as dark as that. So I realized it needed to be more glib. I realized that it needed to be more funny. And because of that, because these people in those situations would never be that way, I kind of ended up giving them my voice regardless. Whereas this would be much more the way I would normally write. The other work I'm working on now, the voices, you'd be hard-pressed probably to find me anywhere outside of the narration. Okay, so let's talk about that. Did you, I know with A to Zombie, you purposely wrote several people that you know into the book, even if it was just for a minute before they got yes. hacked to pieces by zombies. Is there anyone in Watch Atraxis that you've written in? There isn't any character who's one person. I will say that the voice of Jake is in many ways connected with a friend of mine. I didn't ask him if I could name him, so I'm not going to name him. I don't <laughs> even know if he knows this. A friend of mine who is a very stoic person. He is a man of great loyalty and very few words. I wanted that. So the part of Jake that I needed to be that way is taken from this one person. Other than that, he's a whole bunch of other people put together. Everyone else is many, many people put together. I will say that in my mind's eye, the uh, leaders of the Machi tribe look like a couple of the parents of a friend of mine, but they're no way similar to them in their characters. It's just a, that's in my mind's eye. And I don't think I described them in great detail, so you'd never know. So let's, yeah, let's talk about the Machis because I know that the, the tribal setting mm -hmm. where the, the book starts out, it's, it's very specific to the southeastern Alabama and the area where, you know, I don't think this is giving it away, where you currently live. Mm -hmm. Why was this setting important to you? And also Traxxas, which takes place in, in New York. Yeah. Uh, why did you pick these settings? So New York was selected really because that started off as the as the role playing game setting. I theoretically could have changed it. I think no one would have complained. There's no reason it had to be New York rather than say Seattle uh, or something. Mm -hmm. But New York had a bunch of things that I wanted, and one of the main things I wanted out of New York was a city that we wouldn't just give up on when this happened. So if mm -hmm. if Houston, for example, super important huge city if tomorrow this happened to houston there is a sense where we might have just it might have totally lost its identity whereas i i wanted something where where that would remain so i left it in that now as for the machis and southeastern alabama that actually has to do with the theme of the book a lot of the book has to do with living in two worlds and the feeling about living in two worlds like 
obviously mm-hmm. in that's literalized in the Watcher Traxis, but in many ways, a lot of us live in two worlds. We live two lives. And I first became really aware of the Machis Creek Indians when they would have an annual powwow on Troy University's campus, where I'm professor. At that time, I was hosting a lot of visiting scholars from foreign countries, mostly China, but other countries too. And they were very interested to go to a powwow. This was like some serious, authentic American culture. And I would bring the visiting scholars and they would talk to them and ask them questions. And because the visiting scholars, they had no they knew nothing about Native American Indians at all. They knew nothing. You know, Westerns aren't Old West movies. Yeah. I haven't even been a big thing. So they didn't even have those. Yeah, they didn't even have those preconceptions. And so they would ask a lot of really interesting questions of the Machis. And they would also ask questions which, frankly, from an American perspective, were kind of cringe-inducing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not just politically incorrect, but just so so completely ignorant of American culture and Native American culture, particularly in this case. It was a little embarrassing sometimes. And the Machis were always so, they responded with such grace. They were so delighted to be able to educate these people from abroad. And it was just always a wonderful experience. Well, the Machis have been trying, I think at least since the 1980s, to get recognized as a tribe. And they exist, there's like these different levels of recognition, which I frankly don't fully understand the legalities of, and they can't ever quite get the one that they want. But I have always appreciated their kindness to these visiting scholars I brought and their grace. And so because of this, they don't have a reservation or anything like that in real life. And I wanted to do two things with them. One was to create an alternate reality in which they got that, uh, in which they got Mm -hmm. the reservation that I wish that they had. And the other thing was because they kind of just live all over and yet they share this identity, they all have this kind of dual identity, right? Where they are, they're very common type you'll find in the South generally. A lot of them live in Oklahoma, which I think I mentioned there. They're a very common type, very patriotic. You know, they have a very strong Christian influence. uh, So they're anti-gaming, very common type, while at the same time being very, very uh, devoted to Creek Indian culture and particularly their role in that as well. They exist in a kind of Traxian two worlds that they cross between all the time. And so I thought that was a good place to begin. That's absolutely fascinating. I had no idea they didn't have a reservation of their own, even a just small one in Oklahoma. Yeah, they don't have the legal recognition they would need to have that. There's, I guess there's something about their history that they can't nailed down in a documentary mm-hmm. sense enough to, to get the recognition they would need. So they're just mm-hmm. generally, I think, considered Creek Indians, I think, or Muscogee Creek Indians. Uh, but mm-hmm. now we're getting into parts that I, I'm speaking yeah. out of school here. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting into a history lesson where we need to talk about books yeah. now. Um, so we're going to go back to talking about the tone of the book, because you mentioned that there are some lighter, this book is lighter than mm-hmm. Ada Zombie, which let's talk about that for a little bit. <laughs> um, I would argue that this book is just as dark if not darker than Ada Zombie because Ada Zombie can read as a bit of a dark comedy whereas Watch Atraxis is like your grown-up book yeah this is a really strong end of the world dark things are happening and dark things happen to Jake at at the end of every single chapter yes and there are some characters who do some serious stuff 
So I I don't know. I, I would say that this is really, really dark. Why did you take the more serious approach? You argue that it's lighter, but I would say this is serious. Well, I have to say, I really do think it's lighter. And here's my argument. I will slightly spoil both books. At the sure. end of chapter two of From A to Zombie, the protagonist dies. At the end of chapter yeah. two of Watch Atraxis, the protagonist is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> so... Already, we're off to a better start in Watch Atraxis. I think end of chapter sure, two is maybe arguably. where they, they find the first object that leads him on his uh, adventure, maybe. So, look, everything I write, by virtue of what I like in a story, is going to end up being dark in some way. And the mm-hmm. tone I try to take has to do with how bad things are for the character. Because otherwise, it could just be extraordinarily dour all the time. Yes, yeah. So I'll tell you my favorite kind of protagonist. I like protagonists who constantly fail and don't give up. They constantly fail and they fail their way to success. Not through serendipity necessarily, but often because their past failures... They didn't just learn from them, but it caused them in some way to be able to succeed because they had previously failed at a thing. And so I like it when character is able to succeed only because of their weakness. I'm not interested in characters who always succeed at everything. People who know me have heard my diatribe about why I hate Superman so much. That he risks Mm -hmm. nothing. He's a bully because he risks nothing. He's a bully. And, you know, the whole idea that kryptonite makes him weak, it makes him normal like everyone else. So, you Mm -hmm. know, that's a kind of... Whereas I I like characters... Who, who don't have whatever advantages they have feel like disadvantages to them. And then I always want at the end of every chapter up until maybe the penultimate chapter, things to get worse for the protagonist. Things always have to get worse. And so for the people who haven't read From A to Zombie and you're saying like, well, but the protagonist dies at the end of chapter two. How could it get worse? It gets worse for him, for sure, mm-hmm. without getting into details on that one. So when I'm trying to decide the tone of something, the lightness of the tone depends on how severe the things are that are going to happen to the characters. Now, it has been pointed out to me that there is a lot of child death in the stories that I write and a lot of abuse of children. So much child death yes, so in much child A to death. Zombie. There's a lot of child death or children who are abused or something is wrong with children. I have to say that so far there is in the next book I'm working on, Cosmic Death Bubble. No children have yet been harmed in the creation of that book, but you know there are more chapters to be written, so I'm only like mm-hmm. a quarter of the way through it. So we will see. But you know, I grew up in a foster home, right? I was not myself a foster child. We were foster parents. So I saw a lot of children who were really harmed in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so something that I grew up with thinking as normal, I didn't think about it as good or okay. I definitely thought about it as evil or wicked, but I also saw it as a normal part of day-to-day life, children being killed or abused or harmed or children themselves involving themselves in something terrible. As I often say, no one ends up in foster care because their life is going great. Because of that, that stuff just often is a fuel for my stories because I it's less shocking to me, I think, than to mm-hmm. most readers. So because of that, I think I can handle it in a way that is more realistic and less exploitative. I, I try to. I think I just sort of would naturally do that just because, like I said, I grew up thinking it was a normal kind of evil. I see. So the next question is from Engineer Mike. Um, <laughs> he, he wanted to include this one. Uh, so coming off your last eschatological horror book, mm-hmm. what made you decide you wanted to tackle a question of the looming end of the world again? 
And, and are you intending on re-revisiting the question for your next book? So the next book is called Cosmic Death Bubble. <laughs> it yes, is about the looming yes. end of the world. In the case of the Watch of Traxxas, well, this is again a question about how dark they are. Let me back up in a way that's not spoilery sure. uh, about this. In the case of the Watch of Traxxas, I really didn't think about it as being about the literal end of the world, though the literal end of the world is a threat throughout, right? I really thought about it as someone feeling like their life is coming to an end, feeling like their world is coming to an end. Uh, Jake constantly feels like his world is coming to an end, that he has to give up what he's had before, that there is this sense of impending doom in his own life and there's no way of getting, there's no way of getting around that. And all he can do is try to do the right thing, progress forward and try to do the right thing. Not because he has a plan, but because mm -hmm. man is mortal. My life is mortal. The world has more mortality in it. I think just to give a name that slightly spoils something in the book, Traxalor, the World Devourer. Uh, I think that actually <laughs> came out of the original, the original making of the game. You know, honestly, I cannot remember exactly the origins of that part of it. I would say of the three, the next one, of course, not being completed yet. This is the least eschatological of the book. So apparently, I'm also obsessed with the end of the world, which I. Didn't realize. But if you want bad things to happen to your characters, having the world end is a good way to have yeah. bad things happen to them. Yeah. So child death and murder and mm -hmm. the end of the world. Those are subjects you're very good at writing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I'll yes. assume that's some form of compliment and not going to go on the admission form when I end up uh, institutionalized. <laughs> so I want to end this on a very controversial question. Okay. And it's one that we've talked about before. And I don't want to offend anyone. But I think we should talk about it. Is this a horror novel? Is Watch of Traxxas a horror novel? So this has been a matter of great debate. I know you and Engineer Mike felt like it was a horror novel. I was surprised yes. that you thought that because it began as a kind of fantasy role-playing game. I've presented this question to many people. And I would say probably there is at first a 90-10 split. And the 90 mm -hmm. are like, no, it's not a horror novel. What are they talking about? And there's 10% like, oh yeah, I thought it was a horror novel. But... Then in that 90%, there's a goodly number in that, and I don't know, maybe another quarter, who starts mm -hmm. like, no, it's not a horror novel. I mean, the only horrifying parts are, and then they start listing off things that, that they think were horrifying to describe him. And then they say like, well, maybe it is a horror novel. Maybe yes, it is. And then they talk themselves into it. So I was not intending to write a horror novel, but you and Engineer Mike have, I think, made a good case that I've accidentally become a horror novelist, which was not my plan. I guess if you have so much child death in your stories, there's no way not to be a horror novelist. My argument for this is that scene with, I don't know if I want to give away their name, but one of the characters turns another into a tree. And it's described very graphically. Like, I was impressed because I, you know, I write very graphic scenes. Uh, in you do. My stuff. <laughs> and like, especially in the book that I'm currently writing, I write very graphically. And I was impressed. I was like, okay, this is good. This is horrifying. <laughs> but, and I, I pointed this out to you and you're like, this is not horrifying. Okay, this is, this is kind of scary. So I'm going to die on this hill. Okay, well, I would say there are more and more people co who are coming to your side. You know, now that we have the Discord community, I suppose people should, uh, on the Discord community, talk about that. Yes, after this podcast, there will be an introduction to our 
Discord server, please join us on Discord and add your opinions too, which I will promptly ignore if you disagree as usual. But <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. No, please join us in a healthy, lively debate on whether you think this book is in fact a horror novel and list your reasons why. Uh, Three-page essay due Friday. Um, <laughs> I will be silently judging it. Yes. <laughs> I should also say, speaking of such things, now Mrs. Awesome loves, loves, loves the Watch of Traxxas. Um, mm -hmm. I have no idea what her legitimate feelings are about From A to Zombie, but she has been on me to write a sequel to the Watch of Traxxas, which I have told her I am not planning to write a sequel to The Watch of Traxxas. How oh, see. However, yeah. finally, I and she and a couple other people have asked for one. And so finally what I said is, if enough people demand it, then I will write probably not a sequel sequel. I don't have the story, so it, it probably wouldn't be about Jake. It would be about someone else in this world. No, like I said, you shouldn't write another sequel. You should write a an entry into this world, yeah. a la Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Yes, I think that makes sense. Mm -hmm. If you really, really like this book and want to lobby for a sequel to it, I'm open to that. And you have a very strong ally in Mrs. Awesome. Uh, well, that, thank you. Who I... has never asked for a sequel to From A to Zombie. Although that would be much harder to have a sequel to than this book. It would. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you want to add, Doc? You know, I think it's not appropriate for someone just to read The Watch of Traxxas. You need to have one copy for each of your eyes. You need to have, uh, so you need to have <laughs> two copies. You also need a third copy for you to give away to friends. Be sure you also have the e-versions as well as the print versions so that you, you can have the full experience of The Watch of Traxxas. That's right. Watch of Traxxas is available in bookstores online and in print as well. Mm -hmm. Cardboard and paper, as we like to say at Wittan Publishing, from our our imprint laser blast book so thank you very much dr richard scott noakes aka professor awesome thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of pop medieval i think we've all learned a lot tonight and uh we'll have a we national have. conversation about what we've learned so thanks for interviewing me you're more than welcome and since we're not doing west through hall we'll just say goodbye goodbye <laughs> pop medieval was recorded in our nerd haven studio your hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. Our music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinnan. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash or visit our Discord channel using the invite link in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening. He's not blooded! He's not a blooded orc! <laughs>